Welcome back to Kyle's Entertainment Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the Babylon 5 Season 5 episode and All My Dreams Torn Asunder. So this is a big one. Uh, this uh, the Probably the next couple are like really big ones before we get into the what I consider the, the chunk of episodes that are the epilogue. Um, so effectively, we have... The, the majority of this episode is the uh the ISA meeting and informing everybody uh that the centauri will be behind everything presenting the evidence and then letting londo speak uh on behalf of his people and then uh the ramifications there within um there's there's a lot of interesting directing in this episode i like how uh, like the opening of the episode, uh, when Sheridan's getting around, that uh, when he drops the shoe, it 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 sort of transitions into the gavel banging down. I I thought that was really clever. Uh, and adds some nice tension that he, you know there's the sense of unease. Everybody knows this can make or break the ISA. This is the moment where either the ISA stands strong, or it breaks apart and it never succeeds. And I have seen complaints from fans uh, saying that, oh, we've had the Shadow War, we've had the Earth Civil War, this this minor, you know, border conflict with the Centauri ain't a big deal, who gives a shit? And I'm like, do you not understand the ramifications of this border conflict? Um, because if this happens and things aren't done in an exact, precise way, the ISA is done. It won't work. It's just like the League of Nations. It has to succeed. Otherwise, this entire journey, everything Sheridan fought for it is for naught. Which is why he blows up later in the episode of, You didn't want peace. We talk about peace. You wanted war. And that's exactly what we're going for. You know, uh, Sheridan's blow up this episode is so indicative of the pressure this uh, this conflict is happening is because unlike the Shadow War where it's a war of necessity the fight for your free will or the Earth Civil War which is a uh, war against fascism and uh, the right to live this this is a war that ultimately boils down to reasons that I won't get into because they will come up in the next couple episodes but they have to they, they center around what's going on in the Centauri court with the Drak, but for the for the bigger political ramifications, or basically, the ISA either puts up or shut up. Either it deals with this problem, or it goes away. It becomes something, you know, a footnote in history. Uh, this is a big deal. Um, I like how when people are coming to give the evidence, uh, you know, Franklin doesn't even want to look at them. He just gives them the deal. You know, he he feels sorry for them, but he doesn't know what to say, so he just gives them the information and walks out. Garibaldi takes the time to look at Londo, his one-time friend, and just say, you doing all right? Basically, with his eyes, you know, just give him a look, and then walk out. Jakar not only does not uh, give any evidence towards the council, but he shows up personally to Londo to talk to him and say, hey, I'm here to escort you there. I'm here to support you as a friend. Uh, and uh, 
I think whatever's going on, you're not involved, but I think we should have said something sooner. And uh, I'm not going to violate our trust. It's so fun to watch this kind of interaction, and even their interactions later, you know, where he goes, I go. Um, Londo and Jakar are such good buddies now. And, you know, think back to season one, they bitterly hated each other so much. Uh, and how much these characters have grown and matured and come to understand one another in a way that is very rare in fiction. I very rarely have seen uh, enemies to friends uh, trope done well. Uh, very rarely has it been done well. Um, usually it's uh, shaky at best. Uh, this honestly is one of the few that I think is completely earned and works. And... Uh, uh, I, I just love the, the care that Jakar and Londo have for each other is really demonstrated in this episode. Not only when Jakar comes to talk to Londo and escort him to the council, but, you know, later on where, uh, you know, uh, you know he comes back from in the Kingdom of the Blind, if where he goes, I go, which is what Jakar said uh, about Londo. Now Londo's saying about Jakar, and uh, I, I love that look <laughs> Jakar gets when Londo says it. It's just this look of astonishment, admiration, just he did not expect that. Uh, and he's glad. And that will, this will all come back in a couple episodes time to a wonderful heart-wrenching scene that I will talk about when we get there. Uh, and also the symbology of Londo and Jakar going to Centauri Prime uh, after the meeting. You know, a Centauri and a Narn working together to stop a war uh, to stop an act of aggression, retribution against a certain people, you know, it ain't that interesting that they are now trying to prevent the very thing that they were trying to instigate all the way back in season one. How the tables have turned. To quote Jakar himself from Midnight on the Fiery Line, the wheels turns, does it not? Uh, and I, I like how there, there's this parallel when they show up on Centauri Prime of... Uh, the Centauri warships, and they, and they have to look up above them. It, it's an exact same spot. The shot composition is the same as when Londo looked at the shadow vessels. Or, you know, uh, so many, so many in the sky. They blotted out the sun. Um, it, it, it's showing uh, visually not only are the Drock behind this, and they are obviously connected to the shadows. They were once the servants of the shadows, but also. Uh, on a more uh, metaphorical lens, Londo's in the same spot he was before. Every change, every decision he's trying to make to course correct, it ain't fixed a damn thing. He's still in the same spot, stuck between a rock and a hard place, uh, and the trajectory he's going is a very tragic one indeed. Uh, I think it's interesting that uh, basically... When the evidence is presented about the Centauri, and Londo makes his very big, dramatic presentation of ripping the papers up, which notice this is this is Londo from like season two. Of this is a Londo that uh, wears a mask, the Centauri Conqueror, the Great Lion of the Galaxy, and you can tell it's eating at him. You can tell. After all he's been through the past five seasons, he is tired of wearing this mask. He doesn't want to wear it anymore. He 
just wants to lay down basically you know uh we saw that in day of the dead the only thing he wanted was to be with adira and uh in uh, how that has changed him and so he's having to put on these airs of this great centauri conqueror and and say all oh, this you know evidence is you know complete bullshit but honestly it's it, it, it's bothering him you can tell he knew something was going on and he's fearing for what's actually going on and then when they present Lanier's um you know evidence which blindsiding londo was a good idea because it gets an honest reaction even though it's an underhanded tactic uh and something that jakar did back on midnight and firing line with uh, his uh nephew actually um that basically uh we see his pure disgust at what's going on he even gulps at one point londo doesn't know how to wear that mask anymore uh and he's sitting there you know perplexed disgusted confused uh and he knows he's resigned to his fate and he's gonna go and try and fix it but he doesn't know if he can uh and i and he tells via to stay on the station i think for two reasons he gives the reason i need a voice on the outside because if they are serious i won't be able to ever return to babylon 5 but also he did it to save veer i've talked about before how he gives a, you know a great deal cares a great deal for veer and he's done a lot of things to try and help him out uh even sending him away during tough times now he's saying stay on the station because he knows that some shit is going down in the Centauri Palace, and if he goes back there and starts trying to figure out what's going on and stop this war before it happens, then uh, he's going to paint a target on his back, and his assistant is also going to have that target. But on B5, he's protected, he's safe, he's secure. Notice the parallels between uh, the basically the Centauri Republic and Germany post-World War One. Um, this parallel will become more evident, uh, in a couple episodes time, and I'll get into that then. But effectively, what you have is people are scared, people are afraid, they came out of the war, they're recovering, and now the, the shipping line stuff has happened, and, uh, they wanted to blame the Centauri before they even had the evidence. Now they have the evidence, they want retribution. Uh, and, and basically everybody's pinning everything on the Centauri, well, they are technically correct here. In World War One, everybody pinned everything on Germany, even though they weren't solely at fault. They were one of the many people at fault for that war. Uh, and so uh, that led to a bitterness within uh, societies against and for Germany uh, that eventually led to the racial tensions uh, that were already boiling underneath the surface to come to the top and lead to World War Two. Uh, and so what you have here is these people are angry, they're bitter, they've all lost stuff to the Centauri before, now they have an excuse to go after the people that hurt them. And when you give someone a chance for retribution, it's almost guaranteed they'll take it. As we see, poor Veer is targeted as a witch hunt, people want to, you know, an entire gang comes after him trying to kill him, and Franklin has to protect him, all because he's Centauri. And, you know, that that's the entire thing about otherness and the cycles of violence and putting it on a macro scale and a micro scale you know attacking veer does nothing 
Uh, but the Centauri as a people, by putting that label, they're saying the Centauri are at fault. Therefore, Veer, even though he had nothing to do with it, is at fault. And if they can't hurt them, I can hurt you. It's that vicious need for violence and retribution that feeds the uh, the culture of fear. Uh, and that culture of fear feeds into the cycles of violence, and it just keeps on going and going and going and perpetuates itself, you know, ad infinitum. One thing that I did enjoy was there's a bit of irony where Londo is like, you know, the the story would never do this. We don't attack civilian targets. We don't bomb them. And Veer's like, um, where were the Narn? Uh, and Londo's like, oh, well, that was during wartime. There's two interesting things about that thing. That Londo has basically attempted to course correct himself so much that he's tried to basically self-justify things to himself say i wasn't responsible for that rifa was blah 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 he's overcompensating for his guilt also uh there's that you know uh you have a famous line of into arma einem sinet legis in the time of war law falls silent uh so bombing civilian targets during wartime is a war crime uh, in modern day standards, but uh, it's convenient when uh, we look over things uh, because we want to win. It happens a lot more than we would like to think, you know. The uh, I like how Garibaldi's alcoholism is now like we saw it on the Drazi homeworld that it was influencing major political events. And this is something I talked about is that I don't Garibaldi understands on a level that every one of his actions, because he is now the, you know, head of intelligence for the ISA, has political ramifications, has political weight behind it, and as such he has to act a certain way. And because the alcohol has taken over and that's all he's, you know, consumed by now uh, he's not thinking that through, and perhaps someone as self-destructive as Garibaldi probably shouldn't be, and uh, probably shouldn't be in a position where their uh, actions hold so much weight on a such a large scale. I know I certainly want that, want those kind of, uh, you know, responsibilities, and you know I'm not as self-destructive as Garibaldi, but I have my own self-destructive tendencies. You know, uh, some people do, some people don't. Uh, and I like that scene between Zack and Garibaldi. Not only is it perfect, like, you know, as I said, Garibaldi is showing all the classic signs of an addiction. He's, uh, and he's doing all the classic manipulative tactics an addict does of playing on personal feelings, saying, I got this, just give me more time, you know, and, you know, constantly going, you know, uh, you, you weren't all that perfect. This is my one way to, you know, feel like myself, blah, 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 feel sorry for me, feel sorry for me, pity, pity, pity. Um, and it's, it's classic. And I like how Zach just doesn't want any of it. He sets his PPG on the on the table, and he's like, "Hey, if you want to kill yourself, it'd be quicker." Uh, he's just done, and I I like that because not only do we know that sometime in the past Zach had some difficulties, um, it's hinted at it's some sort of drug issue, which is a reference to Jeff Conway, who plays Zach, uh, had drug issues. Uh, it cost him a large portion of his career, and he had to start over. And as a result, uh, you know, he, he came on the B5 as an extra, and JMS 
took a liking to him and said, hey, you know, I'll give you more uh, screen time. Um, you know, I'll try and help you out. And basically that line Garibaldi has that says, you know, I took you in. Uh, I knew you had problems before you showed up here. And I'm, and I'm pretty sure you had problems while you were still here. Uh, but I but I looked after you. That is basically a, a almost line for line something JMS and uh, Jeff Conway discussed between each other. Of you know you had a problem, I'm willing to deal with it. Uh, if we can get you better, you know. And I also like that uh, a lot of what Zach is saying is actually quite applicable to JMS himself because uh, uh, JMS talks about this a lot. Uh, Jeff would look out for his health all the time because he was, you know, uh, JMS was writing himself silly, you know, uh, writing every episode for multiple seasons for 22 episode seasons is uh, certainly a uh, thing as well as being the showrunner, you know, that's certainly going to run you ragged. And so Jeff Conway out of, you know, a couple other, the cast members would regularly check up on him, make sure he's, you know, taking vitamins, doing it, you know, being healthy, uh, you know, keep it up basically doing all right. And so that scene not only furthers where Garibaldi is in his relation to Zach now, but also it has a nice parallel to reality there. Uh, now that scene with uh, Delin and the candle, it's it's perfect. It's a scene I go back to a lot. It's a scene that I've uh, posted up for people to watch because to me, it is symbolic of everything that is wrong with this world. Um, that, as Dylan says, we are all born as molecules. And we foolish molecules pretend that we are different. We pretend that our light is better than everyone else's. So we draw maps, lines, and borders, you know. And that, it's such a falsehood within ourselves that we see each other as different. I'm American. Uh, you know, you are whatever, or for, you know, from whatever country. You know, at the end of the day, we are human beings. We are the human race. We are not so different, you and I. At the end of the day, our cultures may be a little different. But you know what? We can come together and enjoy that difference together and bond and grow as people. But we so often let our own ego and our anger and our emotions in general run high uh, and that leads to a lot of problems down the line, you know, and uh, effectively, Delenn breaks down with that candle ceremony. Every horrible tragedy in human history, uh, the entire history of human politics in every country, uh, the mere idea of countries with of themselves, the idea of, you know, uh, you know, ethnic boundaries and racial boundaries within the human race itself. Uh, you know, it's ridiculous how much we try and divide ourselves. And part of, uh, part of otherness, part of uh, dehumanization is slapping labels on things. So you can stop pretending like they, they matter and instead sort of stereotype them. Why was Avira attacked? Like I mentioned, because he was Centauri, and Centauri are, you know, engaging in this war. Uh, and so they were angry at him, uh, even though Vera had nothing to do with it. Because 
at the end of the day, Veer wasn't Veer, he was a Centauri, and Centauri must die, you know, and that's what otherness breeds, you, you know, uh, we are all one, to quote your car, uh, but we fail to see it, and we lash out at everyone, and we try and make ourselves different, and it wounds us irrevocably in horrible, horrible ways. I, in a, it's a great tragedy that this is the way life works. Because um, I know I would much prefer something better, and I'm sure a lot of other people would too. But that is the nature of living, is you have to deal with the fact that people are going to die, people are going to perpetuate their cycle, and people are going to have many, many opinions, and not all of them good. And that very well can lead to violence, otherness, hatred, anger, but also kindness, compassion, friendliness. Those two can coexist. That's why I love that scene. It's, it's such a beautiful scene. Effectively, now, uh, you know, we don't know everything that's going on with the Drog yet. I do, obviously, because I've watched this show before. But we very clearly have a situation where the Drock have engineered a culture of fear within the ISA, leading to everything being blamed on the Centauri. So no, it's the entire ISA, you know, all the major races and the League of Non-Aligned Worlds all together versus the Centauri. The Centauri are isolated, they're being blockaded, uh, they're trying to violate the blockades, which, you know, obviously Garibaldi was too drunk to interfere with, which led to the, you know, outward hostilities. Uh, they have been removed from the ISA, they're isolated, they stand alone, uh, and uh, it is now basically the Centauri against everyone else. And why the Drak wanted this is going to become very apparent here in a bit, but I do say, remember, in the beginning, and uh, War Without End, Centauri Prime on fire. This is what they wanted. Chaos, ruin, misery and that's going to become more apparent because all that chaos and misery and pain is directed at something in particular for one particular reason and it's completely callous and miserable and it all feeds into the ongoing themes of tribalism and cycles of violence and retribution you hurt me i hurt you and that's the way we live anyway i'll see you next time till then bye <laughs>